Welcome everybody to another episode of Downton Gabby. Uh, today we are going to talk about what is kind of our favorite subject these days, which is Game of Thrones. Maybe we should explain what the show is because probably no one's ever heard of it. It's just like a little obscure, like, it's really hard to explain, but once you get into it, it's so good. They're like dragons and... Incest. Incest. And like these really hot guys on horseback with really sharp, (laughs) curvy swords. Yeah, it's just like a curvy sword. I'm pretty sure that's the word for Uh it. Right. And there's this (laughs) wall, and it's made of ice. Ooh. That sounds intriguing. Isn't it, though? Seriously, these are my conversations with my coworkers who don't watch the show, and there's only one other person that does, and when we talk about it, everybody just looks at us like we're nuts, and it's like, hmm, these words do sound strange when you don't have the context. Listen, I'm not going to apologize for us talking about this again. I'm just not. This is the topic to talk about. It is the end of August. Everything else in the world is depressing. We're allowed to talk about Game of Thrones as much as we want. That's right. So, to conclude our introduction. (laughs) So, in today's episode of Downton Gabby, we were going to be talking about Game of Thrones. And because of one very specific storyline involving two Stark sisters, we thought we would also talk about sisters in general in books, movies, TV, and sister relationships that we really like. I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon in Oakland. All right, so Game of Thrones finished its season seven uh, just this past Sunday night with a uh, rip-roaring season finale. We don't even know when the eighth and final season is going to happen, but in the meantime, we were so moved and felt so many feelings that we thought we should... Uh, discuss them. So, Brandy, do you want to start? Yeah. (sighs) Okay, so y'all know that Jon Snow isn't my favorite. (laughs) And I have tried to be neutral about him. And I think I've even liked some of his storylines at some point, right? But you gotta be... Yeah, you gave him some benefit of the doubt. You know, and it's nothing against Kit Harington. It's really just like, I just feel like He hasn't had a lot of character growth compared to other people, and he's just kind of a whiner. And now, after we were so excited for how female-centric the season seemed like it was going to be, it all comes down to just paving the way for Jon to, what, reluctantly take the Iron Throne? Like, I am not down with where we are going with this. No, and I think it really started my deep anger of don't you fucking touch my feminist show, you male writers, when it was basically Snowshin's 11 going to (laughs) pass the wall. And it's like, now the men are going to go fight the real important fight. And you women, you just have your cat fight. We're going to fight the real enemy. And I did not, I did not like that, that message. And it is not really let up. Right. And then, well, and then they had to be rescued by a woman, too. But then it's like, oh, she's only doing it, like, what? Because her beloved now called her or whatever up there. I'm like, if they were going to take a dragon, it would be so fucking easy for the dragon to just swoop in and do whatever. Why didn't they just take the dragon in the first place? (laughs) Like, 
avoid all of this. The dragon likes Jon Snow. We know that, right? Yeah, if she could be so easily persuaded to fly up there with like one little raven scroll. We've seen those scrolls. You can't put that much on there. It, it, it just means that like the whole escapade was was useless and we didn't even get a good battle out of it. The battle was very redundant for scenes we've seen before and I am just not at all impressed by a dragon swooping out of the sky anymore. Like you've okay. done it. Okay, I'm not it. over the dragon swooping. So we're going to have to agree to disagree there. I could watch them all day every day. Love dragons. But the most infuriating part was in the afterwards, you know, when they, you know, after the episode with the writers, when they were talking about that scene of Danny riding in a dragon to save their butts as like a military general riding a huge weapon. And they literally just talked about all the men's feelings for her in that scene, who was in love with her. And it's like, don't fucking make my hero a sex object. And that's what you're doing. And I feel like we're starting to feel the effects of that these are male writers. The writers and directors and producers rooms are a major sausage fest. And the last time we had a female director was Michelle McLaren in season four. We just finished season seven for crying out loud. Yeah, I mean, it has never been more obvious that there are no ladies in the writers room than this consummation scene between John and Danny, which cut from a closed door to bare ass thrusting with nothing in between. Like, we didn't get to see a first kiss. We didn't get to see any kind of tenderness, whatever. Like, I'm just thinking back to when um, Rob and What's-Her-Face first got together and how, like, tender and beautiful all of their, like, longing for each other scenes were before they finally gave in to what they weren't supposed to do. Where is that now? Where has that gone? And I don't even like John and Danny together, like, at all. But at least give me something to, like, convince me that they should be together. Well, and I'm thinking of the awesome wedding scene in Outlander, which was directed by a woman and was the hottest sex scene I've ever seen on TV. And there was shit tons of foreplay in that. And, I mean, I'm just going to say Jon Snow has a great ass, so that was fine by me. But I agree, they could have really, like, made that scene longer and actually had a great love sex scene. So I have a quote from Jeremy Poteswa, who um, directed this episode. And he he was, like, deliberately not giving us anything because he thought that was the right thing to do. He, he says, it wasn't about shooting a big lovemaking scene. Once they're making love, that's the story. There's no reason to linger on that. <laughs> I'm just like, what? That really embodies a lot of the problems of the season. Okay, they keep saying we didn't have enough time to tell that story. First off, you're the most successful show on HBO. You know you have an unlimited budget. You're just sick of telling this story. and You want to write your slave porn or whatever. But they had time to tell the story and they chose to choose quick plot over character building stuff this entire season. Okay, but they didn't always. They literally spent more time this episode letting Braun and Jamie riff about cocks than they did on anything about, like, Daenerys and actually, like, how she's feeling right now. Because I feel like it's a big deal for her to become vulnerable to someone this close to actually, like, taking her kingdom, right? I mean, we haven't even really dealt with her feelings about finally being in Westeros after six seasons of trying to get there. Well, no, she mm -hmm. just has to keep saying that she can't have children. I mean, she said it like four times. That's all she could think about. Right, well, because she has, 
Yeah, no worth as a woman since she can't right. have children. I don't know if you know mm. that. I think it's some kind of Westeros poisoning. Like, as soon as she set foot on land in Westeros... It's just like all her power was sucked out of her somehow. The other thing that really strikes me is when she was reunited with Jorah, there was more fucking chemistry in that uh, hug between them than I've seen of her with anyone else, frankly. Like, that was electric. I'm not saying that they should be together. I completely agree. It was amazing. No, I was never team Jorah, but, like, that's what you get when you have a real relationship with history you know, like there was, there's more chemistry between like Jamie and Brienne than there is between John and D- Danny. There's like no history there. That's what this show is begging for, right? Like all of these reunion scenes, all of the like characters who were in the same room for the same time. It's all like building up to something that should feel special. And this just felt perfunctory. Like they just needed to get through it because I don't know, fire and ice. Right. Well, you know, technically, Jon Snow is fire and ice. He is the song of ice and fire himself. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. So having read all the books, I can tell you that in the book, there is a storyline about this young man who is traveling with Tyrion at some point in the book. And Tyrion figures out that he is none other than Aegon Targaryen, the presumed dead son of Aerys Targaryen. And apparently, Varys had switched him as a baby with some poor, unfortunate, poor baby who got killed by the mountain. And Aegon got, like, spirited away somewhere else to grow up in anonymity. And now he has reappeared, and he is the heir to the Iron Throne. This is what's happening in the books, right? Okay. In the show, they have jettisoned that person, They have made Jon Snow Aegon Targaryen, because that is the name that Leanna whispers to Ned on her deathbed. They have made him that character. When George R. R. Martin's books ended, Jon Snow was dead, and Aegon Targaryen was alive. What the fuck happened between then and now that they cut Aegon Targaryen out of the story entirely brought Jon Snow back to life and made him Aegon Targaryen because that was clearly not George R. R. Martin's plan. That's not how the books were set up. So something completely changed. Like they took Martin into a room with a really bright light in his face and said, listen, Martin, if you want to get another $10 million from HBO, <laughs> you better go along with this plan. <laughs> Jon Snow is alive. Exactly. Two plus two equals five. Yes. There are four lights. I I think that's what happened. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, I understand not wanting to bring in some, like, new character at this point to vie for the throne. I understand compressing things. But if you're going to go back and you're going to basically retcon what happened in the backstory, you have to do it in a way that makes sense. And I saw several people on Twitter laying out pretty clearly why getting that marriage annulled and doing another one in secret and letting people think you abducted and raped her makes no fucking sense. Because actually everybody around him probably would have been like, sure, we'd rather be allied to the Starks than (laughs) the Martells. Like, go right ahead. The whole point of it is that John was created. And we're supposed to care that John is the big hero. But it's like, you know what? I don't care. 
about another white man overcoming his odds to become a hero. I've seen that story many times. I want to see the Circes. I want to see the Daenerys's. I want to see the Sansa's. Those stories I have not seen. I agree. And how is this not going to be super redundant of the way that, like, that we already saw this when he became the Lord Commander. We already saw him go over this arc of, like, taking power that he never thought he could and coming into responsibility and this and that, which... Again, I'll emphasize, never changed his personality. He never actually grew as a person, even as his role in the story grew. It was actually twice, because then he became King of the North. We've already seen it. (laughs) Right, right. So, like, how many times are we going to watch this same arc for him? I mean, at least if he had stayed a bastard and then, like, married Danny and then, like, had to, like you know, she gets killed at some point and he has to reluctantly take the throne, like, to honor her legacy. I could watch that if we really want to end with him on the throne. But now what? Now where do we go from here that's not just women having to step aside for a rightful man? So is if he, if that was the story and he submitted to her and she was queen, would it just be like the show The Crown? Where it's like, he's too wild to be your... King consort, you just have to deal with it. And she's like, I'm trying to get my fucking work done. I'm <laughs> just picturing this stupid scene where Philip's like flying his plane, but it's John on the dragon being like, I'm mad today. <laughs> she's so dull. It's just work, work, work with her. She won't let me do whatever I want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, face it, Jon Snow is just another mediocre white man who just keeps getting promoted and promoted and promoted. Because the dudes like hanging out and having a beer with him. Where I feel like Sansa is really becoming a politician, you know? I mean, like, she would be really good in, like, American politics now. <laughs> like, she's... She's slick. Well, before we go full into the Winterfell storyline, let's let's keep talking about what happened in King's Landing on this episode because it was a lot of... It, I'm not sure where they're going with any of this, right? And I, I know we're not really supposed to know at this point, like, what was said after they cut away from the conversation with Cersei and Tyrion and all of this, but her behavior also was all over the place in this episode so all over the place and she's such a controlled person like she i mean she's the type that like probably sits in bed for an hour before she gets up just planning everything she's gonna say that day she's not i mean it was so unlike her to be so inconsistent and i feel like it's like how they always say like cersei makes bad decisions it's like not really they're just making her make bad decisions like she she watched tywin she knows what's up Stop making her do stupid stuff because she's a plot device. Who is not a plot device at this point? I completely agree. And you know what? There were so many things that, like, I didn't even think about until later because there's just so much going on and so much to be curious slash annoyed about. But think about, I thought the moment when they finally brought out the White Walker and showed them was very effective. Even though it took way too long to build up to it and I don't really agree. Mm -hmm. I don't really believe that all those people would agree to be in the same place at the same time. Like, at all. (laughs) Well, I really liked in your notes that you were like, uh, Elena Tyrell would never have come there. And that's right. And neither did Sansa Stark, by the way. Yeah, I agree. She was smart. But watching Cersei be surprised, legitimately surprised, for one of the first times in her life was very effective. Absolutely. But from what we know of her, she should have immediately been plotting on her own with these this new information afterwards, not waiting for anyone else to tell her what to do. 
This is the woman who killed all of her enemies with wild Yeah. <laughs> and they just showed her that fire kills a White Walker. Mm-hmm. And somehow those pieces don't come together at all. She's just waiting around being like, fine, you guys go off and deal with it. Oh, okay, fine, we'll send some soldiers. Okay, fine, whatever. Like, no. <laughs> Again, queen of wildfire. Well, and I feel like you can really tell a man's writing it that it's like, oh, she has to be pregnant to be motivated. And it's like, if a woman wrote this, it'd be like, I was always overlooked by my father, even though I was the most like him. I listened to everything. I deserve this power and I'm going to do it. And that's the story a woman would have written, not just like, oh, I have to do this because I am, you know, I'm giving life or whatever and I can only be motivated by motherhood. It's just ridiculous. It's cheap. It's just cheap shit. You've built a really three-dimensional character and I just feel like they cheapened her this season. I thought it was very effective when she was like to Jamie earlier in the season before the quote unquote pregnancy that, I mean, who even knows if it's real or it's a Kyburn pregnancy or God knows what. Um, But it was much better when she was like, I've lost everything. Jamie, you're all I have left. And then I was waiting for her to be like, I don't even have him. I only have myself. Uh And to just have her become like an arrow, just a weapon in herself. Yes, because Jamie should have drowned when he got thrown into the lake, charging at the dragon, and was wearing about 200 pounds of body armor. (laughs) He should have drowned. That's what they do on Game of Thrones. They kill people. And then, with the death of Jamie, Cersei would have nobody left but herself. Yeah. And she would be so filled with rage. I I completely agree, and Jamie's always been one of my favorite characters, but in this season, he's just been so lost, and it's clear he has, like, nothing else, nowhere else to go from here. So, yes, if you're gonna have some people be plot devices, let them be plot devices in a way that motivates another character internally rather than externally, right? That's the interesting stuff to watch. He should have died, and there's a grand tradition of people dying so that their spouse, usually their husband, gets to go get revenge. Right. Absolutely. Right? I mean, this happens all the time, that men are motivated by the murder or rape of the woman in their lives, and that motivates them to go and do something. So this this is a standard plot device. I'm okay with it, especially if the genders are reversed in Cersei is the one yeah and if she's blaming daenerys's dragon for it like they should be fighting not forming an alliance at this point i understand that it's been a thread since season one that ultimately the real battle will be between the humans and the dead right the living and the dead but i am not willing to believe that everyone's gonna give up everything they've been fighting for for their whole lives in a conversation to go against the dead together. Also, in that whole, like, summit, Cersei doesn't even talk to Daenerys. Daenerys just sits there while Tyrion and Jon Snow stand up and, and plead the case. So... Oh, yeah. They don't even have a direct confrontation. It's weird. That was very weirdly staged, that whole scene. And at one point, Ser Jorah's sitting in one of the chairs, and I'm like, dude, you are not high enough rank to sit in the chair. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out a, a reference here that 
Teresa will like. The whole thing was filmed like they weren't in the same room. It was like when Julian Amarilis and Archie Punjabi had to like film a scene in separate spaces for the good one. Wait, wait, wait. I have something similar I just saw a tweet of, and I have it open right here, that I did not know that Braun and Cersei dated in real life, and it ended on such bad terms that their contracts state that they can't share a scene together. What? Is that why he and Podrick had to walk off at the beginning? <laughs> well, the picture on the tweet is of Braun to uh, have a, a hand on Podrick's shoulder. Here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tag down. I thought Abby. that was so awkward. I was like, the Hound gets to stay, but they're leaving. Like, what? Props to Lena Headley if she got her ex kicked off the set. Props for that. <laughs> That's what Cersei would have done. That's right. That's why she's my main bitch. I feel like we have way more indignation than um, anyone in the show does at this point. So let's talk about what's been good about the show. I mean, we we still love this show and we're still watching it. Oh, I only get this mad about stuff I love. I mean, I think we've established that before. Like, you know, six years of talking about downcast. Down Abbey and raging about that, right? Um, so I will say on a positive note, which I'm still gonna um, have negative things to say about my positive thing. <laughs> the scene of the trial in Winterfell was very effective, and I was extremely relieved. And I was in a room full of thirty people that all screamed in relief. That Sansa and Arya came to their senses. Yeah. If it wasn't so badly written up to that point, it would have just been more effective. But hold on. Let's get back to things we do like. I have one. Daenerys's coats. Oh my god. <laughs> Especially the one, you know, when she's riding the dragon beyond the wall. That coat was baller. That is the single best costume yes. of the oh. season, if not the well, whole season. Can series. we also talk about why is everyone wearing black now? Okay, it's winter and, like, nobody can wear a color. Like, literally, like, nobody's wearing colors anymore. It's weird. It's weird, too, especially because it's really not Peter Dinklage's color at all. And I keep missing his, like, deep reds and velvets because he looks so handsome in them. Yeah, it's strange. It's like everyone <laughs> stopped wearing color. It's like, oh, it's cold now. Okay, I will say uh, another thing I liked um, was Tormund's talk about Brienne, the way he talks about her. <laughs> Um, I just, I love all the dragon stuff. I mean, I, it's always been a great show, but I, I like that we're dipping more into the fantasy realm. And I want, I mean, Braun needs to have a purpose instead of just being the Westeros Wikipedia. Like, what is his ability besides <laughs> just knowing things? Like, I want him to be more magical. Just, I'm the three-eyed raven. Yeah. Oh, and also the joke of him saying, I am the three-eyed raven and everyone going, I don't know what that means. Brilliant. I just love that nobody knows what the fuck he's talking about. I mean, could you imagine if your, like, your weird cousin came home and was like, yeah, I'm like a three-eyed raven now. What are you talking about? I I just hope it actually does mean something at some point. Because so far it's really just like, you know, he's like the equivalent of, you know, gossip girl. Like what oh, he yeah, knows. Totally. You know, it's not really like, it's not really helping. That is the most perfect comparison. Like, what is his... He literally just knows... And we never see him, like... I mean, like, I think it's so ridiculous that all this happened off stage of him telling his sisters this whole important story. I mean, we've never even seen them hardly talk. 
was just like, oh, I guess they had a dinner that went well. Is that what you think happened? Because I don't even know if that's clear what happened. Because it did Sansa start putting the pieces together and then go back to Arya? Did Bran tell them, like, the truth? Oh, like, I think it was that. We don't yeah, even actually that. know. That's a problem. I think it's a problem that it, there are multiple interpretations of how the, like, siblings came together on that story. And it's lazy writing. I mean, I was thinking that as satisfying as the scene was, and as much as I was sitting there, like, literally with my fingers crossed, like, chanting under my breath, like, please don't be an idiot. Please don't be an idiot to Sansa. Um, and how satisfying that moment was, it's satisfying one time. And I would rather have the conversation between the siblings as a scene that will endure. And it reminds me of, like, for example, we were, I was thinking about this when we mentioned Jamie earlier. Like, one of my favorite scenes in the whole series is him finally telling Brienne what happened when he killed the king. And we kind of already know what happened and why he did it. It's not the surprise that makes it my favorite scene. It's the vulnerability. It's the character work. It's the acting. All the, all the other things that we like about this show. And it's an enduring scene that I can watch multiple times. So I feel like we were a little bit robbed in the service of a shock moment. I felt like nicely shocked and surprised and I and I and I I kind of loved it but at the same time I would have really loved to see them realizing what was going on and plotting against Littlefinger and seeing Littlefinger being taken in by it all that would have been very satisfying and it's the same way that the that John and Daenerys's love scene was so truncated that this felt like I would have loved to have had it stretched out more and and just enjoyed Littlefinger being conned. Yeah, well, knowing what's going to happen, I mean, it's similar to last season's finale, right? We know that the Sept of Baylor is going to blow up. That doesn't need to be a surprise, right? The tension waiting for the moment when it actually happens is insanely satisfying. We could have had that here and instead... I don't know. They were trying to recreate the Red Wedding or something. I don't well, know. Well, nothing was as beautifully shot as last season's finale. Like, I was watching the finale this time, and I was like, this is fine, but it's all very perfunctory. And the artistry wasn't there this season. It was sloppy and rushed. Everything just felt very short. And I think that this is a show. I hate, I hate watching long shit. You know that about me. I won't even go see most movies because they're too long. But I could really watch this because the world is so good. I'm I'm sure that there's reasons that we can never know. I mean, this is a business. But to me, it's insane that after the best episodes of the past three seasons have been um, directed by Miguel Sapochnik, that he did not come back for anything in season seven. After the one-two punch of Battle of the Bastards and the finale last uh, year? Are you fucking yeah. kidding me? You didn't have him do anything this year? He is an incredible director. And I just really hope he ends up doing something in season eight because I think I think a lot of TV shows, the directing is secondary, and that's not the case here. Well, and if they were really smart, they'd hire Reed Moreno for one of the episodes next season, too, who's really oh, yeah, proved herself. Really a good one. You know, and I don't know. I keep thinking when you're talking about, like, telling the wrong story here and how they told it, it's like the movie Passengers. It was such a great world. Great character ideas. And then it was the wrong story to tell in that world. And I think that's what happened in Winterfell. 
It's like almost like they were like, we can't just give them that the sisters will get along. And it's like, no, <laughs> you don't, you could still have some tension, but this was the wrong tension. It felt like a, a soap opera and it was like, women will find any reason to hate each other. And it's cat fight central. And it just, oh, oh, it just really irked me to my core. On the flip side, I kept thinking about Joan and Peggy on Mad Men and how well they handled that to the end, that these two women were put in this situation together. They never would have been friends, ever. And they were on these kind of similar trajectories, and they had tension. And I kept thinking about that episode when the guys do the the gross picture sign of Joan, and Peggy goes and fires the guy, and she's like, I didn't need you to do that for me. Now, that was really good conflict. We made different decisions based on the same stimulus, based on who we are, and the fact that they don't go into business together. Again, there's a lot more women in the writer's room in Mad Men, and I just feel like... Yes. That Ari and Sansa storyline could have been that, and instead we got... You just touched on the most fucking important thing, which is... Two characters making different decisions based on the same information, that's drama. Two characters making different, different decisions because they have fake, different information, that's a fucking soap opera. And listen, I'm a fan of soap operas, right? But not in the fucking second to last, last episode as you're entering the home stretch of what's supposed to be this epic storytelling, you cannot be relying on just misinformation at this point. It's too sloppy and it's not compelling. You And you should have earned more than that by now. We've been watching these characters for so long. It should be easy to put them in situations where they're going to want different things based on the same reality. Well, and it's like the scene where she watches Arya do this crazy fight with Brienne. You... She's really, she's had a really weird path since she last saw her. You're going to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Because I guess the way that the storyline went down is we don't know when they found, they came together on a truce. Because there was that weird, where I know the scene we're all pissed off about, is the one with the faces in the room. That's the scene that pisses everyone off. Because nobody was there, it was just them, and we don't know at this point, well when, and they're never going to tell us, when did they come together? Maybe we just care about the Starks coming together more than these fucking writers. <laughs> I think I do. I think I do because I didn't like any of their reunion scenes with the exception of um, last season, Sansa and Jon. I think that was that was compelling. Um, but this season, it's like, I can't even picture how it could have gone down. Like, did Bran just wheel himself in at some point and be like, you must listen to me? And they just did? Arya's anger was so pure and irrational that I don't see one conversation with Bran, no matter how much he knows, convincing her of anything. The scene where where Sansa finds Arya's faces, which, by the way, I didn't know there were actual faces that someone carried around with them. That was <laughs> very confusing. I thought it was just like mind games. You're not- <laughs> I thought it was more yes, metaphorical. Me too. So I'm like, what? <laughs> They're actual faces? That's gross. Like, I kind of thought the faces were stored in a central location, and then you had sort of, like, access to them over They're in Wi-Fi the cloud. They're in the cloud. <laughs> anyway, so that was just weird in and of itself. But then also Arya yelling at Sansa for, like, betraying their father and not caring that he got executed 
is ridiculous because she was freaking the fuck out when all of that was going down and she was yeah. up on that platform and Arya's in the crowd and they can see uh, Arya could see clearly that Sansa was losing her mind. I mean, none of that made sense. Like why are you giving us all of this? Why are you trying to fool us and like do the big con on us? So you can have that reveal at the very end. I don't know. It's a sad state of affairs when I'm like most compelled to see like what Theon's going to do next. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not going to satisfy me and it's really not going to satisfy me if at the end it's just John the emo bro king sitting there with his very nice ass on the very cold iron throne. I am definitely... Not very happy after this last season, but I'm going to choose to be hopeful and I'm just going to choose to believe that my main bitch Cersei is going to blow shit up if it really goes bad <laughs> and she'll just kick those writers off the set if they fuck the <laughs> and that's what I'm going to choose to believe. Because I really, I really want it to be her at the end. I know it's not going to be. But I love her so much. I'm going to wish for when it's all said and done and the world is good again, that um, Brienne and Tormund get together with the Hound in a beautiful, tall, polyamorous household. Oh, I wanted to say my dream for Sansa is that Dario will come over and just fuck the shit out of her like she deserves and she just needs a she hot... She needs to have some good yeah, sex, Yeah, she just needs right? a hot... Like, who's going to be her actual lover? Oh, and yeah. he will... We already know he'll step aside and just serve a more powerful woman. So that's what I hope for Sansa. It's not a bad idea. Where is he right now? Am I supposed He's to know He's back he in Marine or something. I also hope that Sam at some point gives... Uh, Gilly the credit for finding out about Okay, I can't complain anymore, but yeah. (laughs) I read it. Bullshit, you read it. (laughs) (laughs) We saw that scene. We know the truth. So in light of our uh, kind of annoyance at Arya and Sansa being built up into this kind of catfighty, bitch-slappy duo... Um, even though we're thrilled that that's not really what happened, we thought we would talk about other uh, sisters in TV and movies and books that we thought were, I don't know, a lot cooler. So, well, for I have a sister. You have a sister, Teresa. Shannon's an only child, but she has a sisterhood with us. Um, I think I was excited to talk about this, and then became just annoyed again when I was trying to think of good examples of really cool sister relationships in the media I've consumed over the years. And uh, perhaps you'll be shocked to hear that there's a lot more brother relationships than sister relationships out there. And it's actually kind of hard to find ones that where like there's been some depth And it's not just, you know, like a rom-com thing where a woman just has a sister so that she can complain about her dating life. I mean, I don't, I think media actually doesn't delve into this kind of relationship very often. Agreed. It was, it was really hard to find satisfying sister relationships. Like I was thinking about like Katniss and Primrose Everdeen from The Hunger Games, but like 
is Primrose an actually fully fleshed out character? Or is it just so Katniss can step forward and say, I volunteer? Yeah, she could easily be replaced with a little brother or any other relative. Like, it's not... (laughs) What happens plot-wise because of their relationship doesn't need to be because of being sisters. Same with Buffy and Dawn. Like, I was thinking, oh, Buffy got a little sister Dawn, but I'm racking my brains to figure out exactly what purpose Dawn ultimately served. It was very plot-driven, and I'm actually... I think I'm a... Um, Dawn Defender, which is a rare place to be in the Buffy fandom. But but yeah, she's literally a plot device. I mean, she is quite literally a plot device made into a human being. I mean, I use the word literally, <laughs> literally there. <laughs> she's not a person to begin with. She's, she's not a person at all. Of course, as far as good examples, we have to mention... The sisters from Downton Abbey. Really wonderful sister stories. I mean, Sybil dying is still like one of my favorite episodes of TV ever because of the family's reactions. Yeah, I think, and I think their relationships were really consistent and yet they evolved and yet we weren't asked to accept that Mary and Edith would be besties at any point even though when it they they could become allies. I know in season one we did get a lot of the cat fight stuff we're seeing we don't like, but I think that that was not it was not coming out of nowhere in the same way, right? It was built off of certain resentments that were very much um, baked into their social status, their physicality. The actresses sold it very well. Um, and the way their relationship had to evolve after losing their beloved little sister was was completely well done, I think. Absolutely. I, I, it's funny because all the sister stories I was thinking of are like Victorian tales. Like Jane Austen did a great job of sisters. Sense of Sensibility is amazing because they're really going through a trauma and lose everything and all they have is each other. And their mother kind of, but really... They're trying to figure out how they're going to survive in this world where they're, they've lost everything and they, they have to get married and they have nothing to go off of. And, um, you know, Pride and Prejudice, Obvi, um, you know, and even Pride, Prejudice, mm-hmm. and Zombies. Let's throw it in there, yes. too. <laughs> it's all good. Um, and then Little Women, which is a little later. But I, I don't know. You just don't really see many stories about sisters anymore. I mean, the only modern one I can really think of was 10 Things I Hate About You, but they're plot devices. They are, although I do love that movie, and I do like how they sort of begrudgingly come to respect each other at the end. I'll I'll give you that one Okay, it's a good movie. The other sister relationship I thought of was also fantasy, along with Buffy and um, Hunger Games, and that was Anna and Elsa from Frozen. And I think that's a great sister story because it kind of centers their relationship, uh, much more so than any romantic relationships the sisters may have. It's really about their relationship to each other. I have still never seen Frozen, but uh, it reminds me that I need to force both of you again, I've mentioned this before, to watch Lilo and Stitch because there's a beautiful sister relationship in that one and Ohana means family. So you guys really have to watch that. <laughs> okay. Brandy, you, you had mentioned a an identical sister 
film you liked? I did. I mean, when we were planning this, I talk, I did uh, think about how much I love the Parent Trap movies, both the original and the Lindsay Lohan remake, which I think is one of the better film remakes of all time. I would really actually put it up there. It's the best role um, of her career. Let's get serious. It's a del- it's really a delightful film. Um, and I think that's kind of like almost like kitty fantasy for what a sibling is. Like who didn't like dream of meeting their long lost twin at some point, right? Um and I think it the, those movies actually are quite touching in the way they explore a sibling bond while they have, you know, they're set up to have basically opposite personalities. It's super cute. I, I, I really love those movies yeah. a lot. I mean, when the new one came out, my parents wanted to go see it opening weekend. And we stood in line with all these little kids, my parents and me. And I was like 15 years old. Super <laughs> embarrassed. I mean, another show that's really built around the relationship of two sisters who are incredibly different but kind of have to come together uh, for various reasons is Queen Sugar, which is um, Eva DuVernay's um, series that was on uh, OWN. Um, And that's one of the few real-life examples I'm thinking of that isn't a fantasy (laughs) (laughs) storyline. Yeah, I mean, I also thought of Dottie and Kit in A League of Their Own. It's very much a rivalry, but there's also so much love there that that actually complicates the rivalry. Like, I think it's one of the better written situations like that. Um, And Not for Nothing, directed by a woman, where you get that kind of nuance. Thank you, Penny Marshall. Um, And then I also, if we're going to segue back to cartoons a little bit, and it's kind of the same thing... uh, I always loved Daria and Quinn Morgendorfer on Daria uh, because they were so different. And yet every once in a while you would get an episode where they had to like come together for something. And the begrudging respect, I think, is uh, an interesting thing to see between siblings and between sisters when you're telling a teenage story. They feel a little 10 things I hate about you as well. Well, I'll I'll finish up my list by mentioning one of my favorite films of all time, and that would be White Christmas. And not only are there two sisters at the center of the plot who care about each other so much that they mess up each other's lives before everything is happily resolved, (laughs) there is even a song about sisters that they sing. Uh, So I I will not so much. (laughs) I will not sing that song for you now, but it is a great song about how sisters look out for each other and protect each other, but sometimes they get in each other's way beautiful well as as like the resident gothic lover here i'll just um give a quick shout out to two sets of sisters in books that are kind of like the dark and light versions of each other (laughs) and that would be the sisters in we have always lived in the castle by shirley jackson uh one of the best fucking books of all time and then um, Cassandra and Rose Mortman, who are basically the fairy tale version of those two in I Capture the Castle, which is just wonderful. Just the most wonderful book. So, uh, books might be doing a better job, given all the examples we've put out there, uh, than, than TV and film, as far as depicting realistic and compelling visions of sisters. Yeah, we'd love to hear about your favorite sister stories or tell us a story about your own sister. Have you ever had a rivalry (laughs) over power in a fantasy kingdom? (laughs) 
Have you ever conspired to cut the throat of a conniving man that has messed up both your lives? Let us know about it. Are we, we starting love- like a version of Maury Povich right now? <laughs> We'd love to hear about it. You can find us on Facebook at Downton Gabby, on Twitter at Downton Gabby, and on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we will be back in a month. Johnny could only sing one note, and the note he sang was this. Ah! Poor Johnny, one note, sang out with gusto, and just overlord the place. Poor Johnny, one note, yelled willy-nilly, until he was blue in the face. For holding one note was his ace. Couldn't hear the brass the drum. He was in a class by himself by gum.